righty, good morning, everybody. Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast and uh, round one of the playoffs is complete. A couple of little surprises in there. I, I definitely uh, was crossed up on a few of these games. Let's see what happens this weekend as we got four more big games on tap. Wiz, how are you today? Doing well. Doing well. Is, uh, some, some of the games were pretty good. Uh, some of them were a little boring. Some of them uh, had some controversy. So uh, very, uh, very interesting. Uh, very interesting. And uh, looks like some terrific matchups uh, heading into the uh, – the uh, next round of the playoffs. Yeah, I'm excited for the for this weekend. Uh, I, I will say, uh, you know, we felt coming into the playoffs, we talked a lot about this. Uh, obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs, number one seed in, in, the, in the AFC. Uh, sorry, in, in the AFC, and, and they've had a tremendous season. But I don't think any two teams have been playing better than, than the Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens. So we'll start there with that first game on, on Saturday. And, uh, you know, Josh Allen has been a, a red-hot player. There's been a lot of discussion about how much preparation he made in the offseason uh, to make himself a better player. You know, the interesting thing here is, you know, we've talked a lot about this running game or lack of a running game and now losing Zach Moss in this game, which, which you know, again, already already a, a weak run game. So it kind of enhances, you know, what Josh Allen, what he does with both his arm and his leg uh, and his legs. And, you know, a big win against an Indianapolis Colts team, which had an opportunity to win that football game. Uh, you know, I think we'll talk a little bit about what Jonathan Taylor is going to mean for the future of the Indianapolis Colts, because he definitely is going to be the foundation of that offense. They'll probably be looking for a new quarterback next year. But again, focusing on on the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen, who have just played tremendous football. Their only loss in the last eight weeks is the Hale Murray. So, you know, here they are. They 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 have a big game on tap for this week. You know, what did you like what they're continuing to do? Uh, what are you concerned about with this team? Because, you know, again, the Bills have been one of the hotter teams in the NFL uh, for the second half of the season. Well, I mean, going into the game, I didn't have a view. I, could, I, I said that I could see the Colts winning the game. I could see the, the Bills there on their game, <clears throat> you know, winning the game by maybe 10 points. So I didn't have a view in the game. You were on the money. You liked the Colts. You liked the Colts with the points. You weren't so sure about them winning the game, but you felt good about them getting six and a half points. And uh, when you watched the game... Colts outplayed the Bills in that game. Uh, they had more yardage than they than the Bills. They had the ball for ten more minutes than the Bills. They just didn't uh, execute when they got down deep. Um, I don't necessarily like the play calling, but instead of just you know kind of like just smashing Taylor right up there, they kind of like pitched it to him wide. And they didn't do what they were doing all game, which is just playing power football. And then when you're in the fourth, when you're in the four yard line, gotta wave the white flag, say, okay, we, you know, we wanted to get a touchdown. We're up 13-7 here. So that sequence of getting zero points, and then when the Bills were obviously just looking to try to draw them off sides and concede that they were just going to try for a, a tying field goal, the Colts went off sides, then, um, then, then Blankenship missed a kind of a chip shot field goal as well. If you take the things all in consideration and the game was played like that 10 times, I think the Colts would have won that game seven or eight out of 10 times. Unfortunately, Saturday was one of the, one of the maybe one or two times that they would have lost it. A lot of things went against them. And, uh, 
What I don't like about the Bills, and it's even going to be emphasized more with the loss of Zach Moss for the rest of the preseason, is they're completely one-dimensional now. Um, they kind of give it to Singletary every so often, but when they run, it's usually design runs for you know by Josh Allen or plays that break down and Josh Allen runs the ball. I don't know if you're going to beat the Ravens or the Chiefs playing one-dimensional football. So those are my concerns with the Bills, and those are two big things, stopping the run and running the ball. And if you have trouble stopping the run, the last team you want to see moseying into town probably at this point are the Baltimore Ravens. So I am very concerned with the Bills running the ball and against the run on both lines of the scrimmage. How do you feel about the game? That was played, and what do you think about the upcoming matchup as well? Yeah, I think there was some questionable decisions. I, I'd say, well, you know, Frank Reich's a pretty good football coach, but there's some strange things that were done towards the end of the season. Just uh, some play calls, some situational play calls, which didn't make sense to me. You alluded to some of them. You know, getting away from Taylor. I mean, they did that, you know, la- uh, the, the week before, and I didn't really like what they did. You know, they had that game. Um, uh, against the Steelers, they were in complete control in that ball game, and you know they got away from the run in Week 16. I thought that was a big mistake. So I think there'll be some soul searching because I think they played well. I think Philip Rivers uh, calmed down after kind of a, a, a rough start. You know, got his playmakers involved. The tight ends were extremely involved in this particular game, but. Yeah, we're talking about the Bills who have advanced, and, and, and I think they are lucky to have advanced in this particular ball game. Um, I am definitely concerned. I, I will say from a prop bet, I, I hope the market makers, at, at the people that put the markets out in DraftKings, wake up to the fact that Josh Allen is probably going to run for 50 to 60 yards automatically in this game. I don't know where the market will open up. I haven't looked yet. Probably not out there. But, you know, they've been putting his line out at twenty in the 20s. That's a huge mistake. If it's in the 20s, I think you'll be grabbing that line very quickly. Um, I think I think the fact of the matter is it was nice to see uh, Cole Beasley on the field because I was concerned about Beasley and Diggs coming off those injuries, but they were fine. Gabriel Davis made a big play uh, in, in this ball game. So, yes, it's one-dimensional. I don't like the run defense either, like you mentioned, of the of – the, um, of the Buffalo Bills, that is concerning, and especially with the fact that, and we'll talk a little bit more in detail about the the, the Ravens, but you know, uh, uh, Jackson, Lamar Jackson is is you know he is just on fire right now, and playing with a swagger uh, that we saw at times last year. Yeah, I know the start of this year was a little rough for them, but that, I I think it's going to be a big big test for the Buffalo Bills this week. So one thing I don't understand is who's wagering on props and then giving out prop picks for the, for the people who are listening to play. Why is it you hope that the DraftKings people wake up to the Josh Allen rushing line? I'm just saying, like, I don't, you know, there's, a, there's an extreme inefficiency in these lines. And I don't know, you know, again, there has to be a statistical inference put in place where you put injuries into the equation uh, I'm sure that, you know, you, you know, if you're in actuarial science, there's some aspect of that in these markets. But no, I, I don't hope that it happens. But but they're so stupid to have those lines in the 20s. It's just a complete mistake when it comes to Josh Allen, especially yeah, right yeah, now. I mean, you, you want you want to still be able to and the people that are listening to be able to take advantage of things yeah. like that. Right. A- absolutely. Yeah, OK. All right. So um, and then the second game on Saturday, the, the middle game. Um, 
the Rams and the Seahawks. And, um, you know, I was on the money on this one. Uh, I like the Rams to win the game. Um, I just think Seattle's offense, just from maybe after, you know, starting from like week eight or around that point on, was abysmal. And uh, the Rams' defense, boy, they just match up beautifully with Seattle's offense. And I felt watching both games between the two teams this year that the only reason the Rams lost the game in Seattle is because Jared Goff did not value the ball, didn't value points when they were in the red zone, and if they played a clean game, they were going to win that game. And he was nothing special. He had trouble throwing the ball. But they played a clean game on offense. No turnovers, uh, nothing you know, nothing crucial to give Seattle the ball. When they're in the red zone, they either score touchdowns or kick field goals. And three points is good as gold uh, when you have the type of defense that the Rams had. And uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup, although – I don't understand why Cooper Cup was on the field when they're running plays out at the very end in the last minute or two of the game. The same thing the Saints did with Mike Thomas at the very beginning of the season. They had a big lead, and they were just running the clock out, running plays. For those plays, you could have your third, fourth receivers in the game. I don't understand it. And Cooper Cup had like a non-contact injury. It looks like something with his knee, so... Boy, those are two crucial guys to be questionable coming into the game um, with Donald and um, Aaron Donald and uh, and Cooper Cup. Yeah, the, the Donald injury is you know you you want him at, you know in tip top shape, uh, especially you know we talked about this you know uh, Aaron Rodgers loses his left tackle in Bakhtiari, he's not going to be playing in this game, so the pressure is going to be on for the Green pa- Green Bay Packer offensive line against this very stalwart defensive line of the Rams, and and if if Aaron Donald is is not you know at full strength, it, it's certainly a big advantage for the Green Bay Packers. And, and you touched upon, the, you know, the Cooper Cup situation, you know, obviously big playmaker in this offense. You know, quite amazing what transpired in this game. First off, I think there's going to be very long memories going into the draft in 2021 for fantasy football owners. You're going to see Russell Wilson drop uh, in, in a big way in the upcoming draft, and it'll, it'll be reflected in all the draft boards. I mean, the drop that we've seen in this offense – and from week from the first half of the season to the second is quite is quite impressionable, uh, and they've really really struggled. You saw that kind of spat on the sidelines, even though uh, DK Metcalf ended up playing a very good game. It actually led to that first turnover, that pick six, because they force fed him. He was complaining about the not getting the football. And they ended up scoring on that play. Russell Wilson, you know, we both talked about the fact that we thought he would run in this game, which he ended up doing. He ended up having over 60 yards rushing in the ball game. But I, I don't know. I'd be, you would have thought that this would have been a nice-looking offense, especially getting Carson back. They still had Hyde back there. But I don't know. They just couldn't figure it out. This team is probably in pretty big need of another offensive weapon on this team uh, to kind of help out, whether it's at the tight end position or – or at the receiver position, but they have really, really struggled on the on the offensive side of the football for weeks now. So you'll see Russell Wilson take a big hit coming into the future drafts. And for the Rams, like, look, let's think about this. Jared Goff started this game on the sidelines until that hit on, on Wolford by uh, Jamal Adams. Uh, you weren't going to see Jared Goff in this particular ball game. And, you know, he comes in. Uh, Cam Akers with a splendid game uh, again in the backfield. We've talked a lot about that player. He's had a really brilliant second half of the season. 
season. And, and Green Bay is not necessarily strong against the run. I think the, the only way they're going to counter the Green Bay Packers is actually dominating um, possession in that particular ball game. I think the Rams want to make that a low-scoring ball game. That's going to be a priority for them. So Cam Akers will be an integral part of that for, for their matchup against the Green Bay Packers uh, this weekend. Yeah, I just one touching one thing on Seattle and looking ahead to the matchup quickly, uh, just briefly, because we're going to definitely talk about the, the, the games this weekend in depth um, at a podcast later this week. But to me, when I watch Seattle play, what sticks out like a sore thumb is that they need a tight end that could get down the field. I mean, Greg Olson, you know, he's just at the end of his career and he's battled injuries and he just came on the field. And Jacob Hollister had five targets, zero catches, five targets, and a couple of those he should have made plays. Um, they need a tight end via free agency or the draft then get themselves a tight end that can get down the seam, get down the middle of the field, make plays in the middle of the field and help lock it and DK Metcalf out because it just seems like, you know, if you have a good secondary and you could pay a lot of your attention on those two receivers, man, like, okay, they'll let you run the ball and run the ball a little bit, but eventually with that offensive line and it just seems like the other guys can't step up. It just seems like defenses have caught on to Seattle and, uh, and make the others, if you will, beat them and, uh, the others can't. So I think they need to, you know, have a healthy Rashad Penny to help out Carson as a one-two punch. But as you mentioned, they need a tight end that could get down the field and make plays and maybe another receiver that could flash for them in three wide receiver sets because uh, the current roster just isn't getting done. they got to give Metcalf, Lockett, and Wilson some help. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and, and do you agree with me? Do you think you'll see a pretty precipitous drop? You know, based on the second half of the season for Russell Wilson coming into the uh, you know the 2021 uh, fantasy season. Yeah, I agree. You know, you've been making this point for years already that he just isn't respected as much. So I think he'll probably be coming into the next season, you know, maybe around seven or eighth ranked and somewhere in the top ten, but you know, outside the top five probably. Uh, but the, the, the look ahead, you know, just touching on this briefly because we'll really break down the game is, man, I'm wondering if um, if if the Rams are gonna are gonna have Ramsey uh, follow Devontae Adams all over the field in this game. This is really an interesting matchup because unlike you know a guy like DK Metcalf who's gonna be a, a terrific he's a terrific receiver already, but Devontae Adams off the line of scrimmage has this quickness and technique and Jalen Ramsey is a physical corner who likes to get his hands on and I think this is the matchup of all matchups with an a top cornerback maybe in the entire league going against possibly the top wide receiver in the entire league both are, like to be physical and Ramsey likes to get his hands on his the receivers he's going up against but that is easier said than done against uh, Devontae Adams so I am so looking forward to seeing who gets the better of who in that matchup and uh, if that's the defense that the Rams employ but I think the Rams are going to have to score a little bit more points because I just think they're not going to be able to hold the Seahawks, to, I mean, the, the Packers, same way they held the Seahawks down. I think the others, if you will, on Green Bay can do more things. So uh, the Rams are going to have to be a little bit more efficient on offense. But uh, 
we'll get to that during the week. And uh, I guess the last game on Saturday was uh, the uh, the uh, game uh, between uh, uh, the Saints. I mean, the Bucks and the Washington Football Team. And um, I don't know what were your impressions of that one. I like the Washington Football Team and the points in that one. Uh, the line ended up somewhere around ten points for the Bucks. So the Washington Football Team covered. But what were your overall uh, impressions of the game? So pretty shocked to see Ronald Jones on the sidelines, obviously. He probably injured himself a bit, uh, couldn't get loose during warm-ups, so it was very surprising to see Leonard Fournette out there early. They got contributions from the kid Vaughn um, as well. Uh, you know, Tom Brady is really clicking in this offense at the moment. Antonio Brown, you talked about this, becoming a more integral part of, of the offense. Uh, it seems like the chemistry between um, – well, Brady and Evans has, has been there for a while now, but it's definitely heating up with Godwin as well. Uh, you know, he's getting the ball, distributing it to all of his receivers. They've, he's getting the tight ends, although he didn't get Gronk involved in this particular game. But Tom Brady's playing at a very elite level, um, and, and he had a fantastic game this past week. You now, look, it's been a Cinderella story for the Washington football team this year. They've overcome a lot of adversity, uh, adversity a lot of injuries. The, 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 the Taylor Henneke uh, story on Sunday night, uh, Saturday night, was pretty cool to watch. Uh, a gritty and gutty performance uh, against this Tampa Bay Buccaneer defense, which is a solid defense. And, you know, look, they couldn't run the football. We talked about that. Uh, you know, Antonio Gibson you know, couldn't really get any traction. Nobody could really get traction against this team. So kind of one-dimensional, had to pass the ball. And Cam Sims played a very strong game. Logan Thomas has been a stud at tight end. Um, he's probably going to be a top, I don't know, top five to seven tight end coming into the season next year. He has really come on in the second half. But I was very, very happy to see what the Washington football team does. And they have a very nice future ahead of them. But for me... Does Tampa Bay, which I think they're a much better team offensively, can they shake off that rattling that they took the last time they played the Saints? Because that's who they're going to be playing. And, you know, again, not really fans in the Superdome. They're sprinkled in there. Uh, usually a really tough place to play. But, you know, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, you know, they got beat up big time. But this is a team playing at a different level offensively right now. You know, the way I look at Tampa Bay season – it's exactly the opposite of what happened to the Seahawks as an entire team. The Seahawks, the first half of the season, were unstoppable on offense, and their defense gave up three points a game. I mentioned the stat to you that the first half of the season, the average total was 65 points a game in every Seahawks game, and the second half of the season, it was under 40. And in the second half, their offense was abysmal, and their defense was the strongest part of their team. The complete opposite has happened with Tampa Bay. They started off, and remember the things you heard, Tom Brady cannot complete a pass in the air more than 20 yards. They're all out of sync. Their defense wins them games. I mean, their defense completely shut down Green Bay when they played them early this year. And as the season has gone on, it's been completely the opposite. The offense is scoring a ton of points, and the defense looks susceptible. So my question to you is this. Watching the game between the Bucks and the, and the Washington football team, where by no means were the Bucks ever in complete control of the game. The Washington football team was down by eight going to the last drive, and they potentially could have tied it up. And if you look what I went on with Washington, they were down to their third or fourth string quarterback. Gibson was 
probably playing at about 50%. He was so labored. Their best receiver, McLaurin, probably at around 50%. He was playing so labored. McKissick wasn't 100%. They were down to their fourth-string quarterback, their best players at running back and receiver, clearly hurt. Yet it seemed to me that Washington was moving up and down the field, throwing the ball over the place against them. So now you enter at the Saints an experienced quarterback with Drew Brees, with Kamara and Mike Thomas and Sanders and Cook and all of these guys. I mean, is there concern with that Bugs defense? I mean, we saw what Kansas City, now by no means am I saying the Saints on offense is Kansas City, is the equivalent of Kansas City, but we saw what Kansas City did to the Bucks. Absolutely, you know, Tyreek Hill at 200 yards in the first in the first half of the game. So, what's more concerning, the lack of it seems of ability on the on the Bucks defense to stop the pass, or the the, the Saints passing game? I mean, what's going to be the end result there, do you think? I mean, what? What? I guess. I guess we're going to break down the game later in the week. But what's more of a concern with you watching those two teams, the Bucks secondary or the Saints passing game? I so I don't think Drew Brees is exactly. I mean, if we're talking two or three years ago, I'd probably give you an answer because I don't think. Drew Brees is the same player. You know, he's kind of dealt with some injuries here. Um, you know, the the chemistry, we've talked about the fact that, uh, you know, this offense has really not been together this year. But, you know, they played well the other day. Although, you know, early in that game, they struggled against, you know, look, the Chicago Bears were missing one of their key defensive players in Roquan Smith the other day. Um, they couldn't do much at all in the first half of that ball game. So, I don't know. I, I This is the New, New Orleans Saints offense. So, I'm not as I don't think the Saints offense right now is as explosive as we've seen in the past and for the reasons that I articulated like I said I think I think this is not the same Drew Brees as 3 years ago so I'm a little bit less concerned on that front you know the the question is can this defense hold up here but I I think we're going to see a different you know Tampa Bay Buccaneer offense in this particular game uh, and I, I'm, I'm just not as concerned because I don't think the explosiveness of the Saints offense is quite there right now so you, you, I mean, I mean, I guess the question is: Is Taylor Heineke in a game where they can't run the ball and Tampa knows you, they're going to throw it close to over three hundred yards in a game? Are you concerned that the Ten B secondary can't stop anybody at this point? Well, I mean, I'd be I'd be concerned about it, but I get, but again, I think I don't think Drew Brees and this offense are, are clicking on all cylinders. And, and absolutely agree with you. Yeah. So. so We'll see about that one. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I'm just a little concerned that the tide is like changed and, uh, you know, the tide has turned there and, and it looks like the, the Bucks need to score a lot of points. And I guess the, the interesting matchup is going to be, you know, will they be able to do that against the Saints defense who has owned them in the two games they played them? But to your point, Tampa is not the same team right now that they were when they had those meetings. No, and, and we can point out. We've talked glowingly about the Washington football team defense this year, and that's a strong front, and I think Brady and this offense, uh, the offensive line played well in this particular game. You know Brady doesn't like to get shaken too much, and, and, and they were able to protect him, and he was able to find time to find his receivers. So if they can do it against the Washington football team, who I think arguably is one of the better defensive fronts in all of the NFL, they were able to do that. It should give them some confidence against the Saints this time around. 
right, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's segue right into the Sunday games. And uh, I'll tell you, I think this was a horrible, horrible week for people wagering on games. Every single person I spoke to liked either one or two games on Sunday. And a lot of people liked the same two things. Over in the Ravens-Titan game, which ended up 2013, which went, went way under, and the Pittsburgh Steelers minus six, which we will get to. So let's talk about the Ravens-Titans uh, game. What were your impressions of it? Uh, what surprised you? And uh, what were you impressed by? I'd say the biggest thing is that Derrick Henry couldn't be a, become a part of this football game. They never got him going. Uh, and as a result of that, this game ended up being kind of one of those old-fashioned type games that we usually see at, out of the AFC North. We've seen them between Pittsburgh and Baltimore, Baltimore quite frequently. And I think, to me, that was the biggest thing that kind of came out of this thing. I think the fact that they were able to stop Derrick Henry, never able to really get that player going. And the game had a very different feel. I think Lamar Jackson could have done whatever he wanted running the football in this particular game. Um, and he played a tremendous, tremendous game as far as his run game. Uh, he made a couple of big throws. I've talked about Marquise, uh, Marquise Brown a lot. He is a player that is getting hotter and hotter. He complained in the middle of the season, and they've started to listen and get him the football. And Tennessee just couldn't stop the player. And, and that was it. You know that, You know know. So I think... I think the Baltimore Ravens come in with a lot of confidence on both sides of the football. Uh, I was surprised that they were not able to put points up in this game. I thought there would be a lot more points. I thought Tennessee would do that. I don't know. They just played very uninspiring football this uh, this time around. So I'm going to talk about a couple of different things about the game. You know, football is a lot of things that goes into a game, but there's one sequence of plays that, you know, you hate to say change the complexion or this cost the team the game, but I really feel it did. It was the early, it was maybe about three minutes into the fourth quarter. It may have been like 12 or 11 minutes ago in a game. The Ravens had the ball. I Excuse me. The Titans had the ball in there just inside the Ravens um, territory, like around the 48-yard line. The first down play, handoff Derrick Henry, he breaks a tackle, he gets eight tough yards. It's second and two from the 40. And I'm thinking to myself, the Titans have them where they want them. They have the player that they need in this situation, and now they're just going to give carry after carry after carry to Henry, and this is what he does. He has maybe 40, 50 yards, 60 yards entering the fourth quarter, and this is where he punishes team. On second and two, they had a running play designed. Tannehill called an audible, went into the shotgun, incomplete pass. Third down, he throws it to John Smith, got jarred from the ball, fourth down punt. I hated the punt. I hated the play calling. You got Henry. He's starting to get a little momentum. You got second and two. Keep the chains moving. Keep running the ball until they could stop it. I hated the Tannehill audible. I hated the third down call. And I certainly hated the hated the punt there. I think they they netted maybe 20 yards or 25 yards uh, on the play. And I thought that was a, a big turning point in the game. The Ravens got momentum. They got first downs. I think Tucker missed a fuel, but then they got the ball back. Like the Titans never got into that scoring position again. So what was your view on that sequence 
and the overall decision to punt on fourth and a yard and a half from the 40-yard line. Yeah, that that just to me made zero sense. I, I was very uncomfortable with it. I, I was shocked at it, and, you know, I think it really dictated kind of how things went. I'm surprised because, you know, usually uh, I think Vrabel's a little bit more aggressive, especially with a player like, like Derrick Henry. I was extremely surprised, and I think it, it really changed the course of this football game. Yeah, I think that sequence, if they had to do it all over again, Tannehill would have stuck with the run, and you got second and two. There's no way if you give Derrick Henry the ball three times, he's not going to get you the first down, and that's what matters. You've got to keep churning out first downs, keep the clock moving, um, and keep driving down the field. That's what the Titans have always done. So I think if they had to do it again, they would do it differently. And I, I want to mention one thing about the Ravens, and I know that team has like a lot of glitz and glitter to them, and, you know, with Lamar Jackson and, you know, the, the, the rising of J.K. Dobbins and he's, you know, deserves all the praise he's getting. He's going to be a terrific player. And Hollywood Brown played a great game. And they, they have a solid tight end in Mark Andrews. But to me, but to me, when I watch the Ravens closely and you watch the game closely, playing play out the guy who is one of the most crucial parts and important players to the Ravens is this Patrick Ricard. Yeah, he is. I mean, he is an First of all, he's a two-way player. People don't even realize he plays defense as well. He blocks, kicks at extra points because he's such a big guy. But his blocking on those run plays, he clears a path. The player just follows wherever he's going. And on top of it, for such a big guy, he is athletic as all heck. Lamar Jackson hit him for three passes. A couple of them were not right on his numbers where you would figure a big guy like that needs the ball to be. He had to reach up and snare him. And I love the player, and I think he does what he does as a fullback better than anybody what they do on the Ravens, in my opinion. He is a crucial part, and when they run the ball, you could guarantee it's behind Ricard, and he makes some crucial catches and some big plays, and like I said, on special teams and defense, he's a throwback player, and uh, I'm just wondering, you know, you like these type of players. What do you think of, like, Patrick Ricard? Yeah, you know, look, these are the guys that don't get the glory, right? We've seen a few of these players over the last couple of years, a guy like Kyle Juszczyk, who, who became a big part of what the 49 success was last year running the football. But you love to see it, and then they get him involved in the passing game. And he made, I think he made three or four catches in this game. But his blocking, his blocking is huge. This is kind of old school football. You know, being a Giant fan, we used to love to watch this type of football where a team plays great defense and just runs it, runs it, runs it. Time of possession becomes a big part of what you do during the playoffs. And I have a player like that clearing space for you constantly and Lamar Jackson also running behind him just constantly um, and, yeah. and and he's, he's such an athletic guy that he's able to kind of bounce out very quickly especially on a lot of those uh, ROPs that 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 they that the, that the uh, RPOs excuse me that the that the Ravens like to run and and Ricard is a big part of that success so I, I love watching it you know the fullback has made a little bit of a comeback in the NFL over the last couple of years we see more and more guys doing that uh, you know the Browns obviously bringing a guy in this year from the Broncos and Janovich, you know, things like that. So it's a big part, and it's great to see. I, I think, you know, these are the players that don't get highlighted that much, but in this particular game, it was hard not to notice Patrick. 100%. Uh, so we talked briefly about the Saints, and uh, 
I'm a little concerned. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I like the Saints, and their defense is terrific, but they played a game where the Bears couldn't run the ball, and their number two receiver, Mooney, was out for the game. Their number three receiver, Anthony Miller, got ejected for a selfish, stupid play. Uh, Wims dropped a, an easy touchdown pass on them, and I'm concerned the Saints having the ball in such great field position, such an edge in time of possession, getting so many threes and outs for their defense that they're only, you know, able to score 21 points. I think I want to talk a little bit more in depth about this. You know, what did you think about the Saints offense? And, you know, are they going to be able to score enough points against Tampa Bay where they're going to be able to match them in points, or is this going to be a game where, like, they're going to try and, you know, have to count on their defense to hold Tampa down, and uh, that's that's difficult because Tampa's offense is not the same offense that they played in those first two games. Yeah, you know, again, I think, uh, you know, I don't feel they're firing on all cylinders. Even that that last drive when they're trying to score a touchdown. I mean, DeMarco Murray, you know, look, obviously – uh, Kamara is a great running back. He's you know he's strong too, and not, uh, not as strong as Demarco. Uh, 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 sorry, uh, Latavius Murray. But you know I, you got to score. You're trying to reach Drew Brees over the line on fourth down. I know they tried that before, but it's just a silly play. I, I don't know. They they feel. I feel like they and, and even these play calls with, you know, look, Taysom Hill is gonna. You know he's going to definitely compete for this job next year. By all by all accounts, Drew Brees is going to retire. But even that play where the interception was thrown, they just try to get a little too cute sometimes instead of just playing pure football. And, and you know sometimes I mean being that cute for your own good, it just doesn't work out. So I don't know. This this is like you said, this was a bear team that was struggling all over the field offensively because they were down personnel. I, I definitely don't have confidence in the Saints against the Buccaneers this week. In fact, you know, coming into this 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 tournament, if you will, I, my view actually in the NFC, and I got kind of got burned because I didn't see the Seahawks losing to the Rams uh, as you did. Um, but I I actually saw either either Tampa Bay or New Orleans coming out of uh, in this particular conference coming in going into the Super Bowl, and I felt really strong actually about the Buccaneers. I thought they were playing really good football, uh, and I. Still have confidence in that, uh, you know, in, in, in the draft that we did. I have the Buccaneer defense. I also have Tom Brady. So I'm looking for this team to kind of advance, hopefully, into the into the dance, uh, into the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I just think they're playing better than everybody else. But I I just think in in the, in the NFC right now, the Saints, while they're a good football team with good defense, there is something not right on offense about this team, and I don't have the confidence as a result. Let me just say one other thing, and then we'll talk about the Steeler-Brown game, is the game very well could be a close game. It very well could be. I know the Saints kind of blew them out both games, um, but this could be a close game. I just want to say I'm watching it very closely, and Ryan Sukhope is kicking with incredible confidence. And the other side, I don't know what on earth has happened to Will Lutz. He's completely lost his mojo. He's missed a kick in, I think, the last five of his six games. And 
if it comes down to a kicking contest, I never thought in a million years I'd be saying this going to season. I have way more confidence in Ryan Sukup at this point than Will Lutz, who is not kicking the ball well. And uh, it definitely could come down to that in this type of game. So just another thing uh, to keep your eye on. And um, everybody loved the Steelers, um, basically. And it was such a strange thing as I watched the line during the week, right? It started off at 6. The coach for the Browns was going to miss the game. It stayed at six. Another offensive lineman, COVID, the line stayed at six. Another offensive lineman hurt before the game and, you know, was going to miss the game. Down two line, uh, two crucial offensive linemen. The line never budged from six. This line, I thought, would have went to seven and a half or eight points even. It never left the six. It was like they knew for some reason. And, um, Wow, that game was over before it started. I know, you know, people talking about why Tomlin didn't go for it in the fourth quarter, fourth and sixth from his own 40, and Roethlisberger threw for over 500 yards, but I don't care. The score was not as close as a 48 to 37 indicated. The Browns had this game won after the first quarter. Yeah, it was, uh, it, you know, look, the Pittsburgh Steelers, 11-0 to start the year, lost five out of their last six games. I know Roethlisberger threw for 500, but he looked in a complete trance to start this football game. We know this team has a lot of offensive weaponry, uh, but I don't know. Like, the fact that you have to get down 28 nothing and start playing the way you did, throwing the ball 65, 70 times in a ball game to get back in it, that's not an indicator of how you want to run your football team. They've struggled to run the ball all year long. You know, look, I, I thought it was a big deal not having Stefanski on the sidelines and in addition a couple of other coaches as well but the Browns responded they didn't hit the practice field until Friday uh, but you know what Nick Chubb is one of the most gifted running backs on the field as well we saw what he can do in the passing game you know Wiz you've talked about that a lot I've actually talked about that um, the wages on him because they're always putting his uh, yards at nine and a half yards and he's beaten that a number of times in the last few weeks I think only once he has not surpassed that number uh, and a couple of huge plays in the past game here Big mistakes by the Steelers. Uh, look, uh, the Steelers had a great, great start to the season. We, we placed a lot of emphasis on that, and I don't know. It just I think that Roethlisberger injury became a bigger deal for this offense. You know, I don't think he was as mobile. Not that he's super mobile to begin with, but he kind of was stuck back there. And Pittsburgh losing those defensive players that they did in the middle of the year was a big hit. A big, big hit to this team, and they just couldn't force teams. You know, they couldn't force teams out out, out off the field the way they did early in the year. And this was a dominating defense last year. It was pretty solid to start the year, but they couldn't overcome the injuries. It's a big disappointment. And look, the Steelers got a lot to think about. You know, what's what is the future on this team going to look? Uh, you know, both at the quarterback and and running back position, uh, they definitely have one of the more skilled sets of receivers in the league right now. But the rest of the, you know, they'll get those defensive guys back. But my, I would say my paramount concern here would be what's going to happen to quarterback and running back. But look, the Browns are feeling good about themselves. I, I think nobody's probably giving them a chance to win the game against Kansas City. I don't even know what the spread is. I haven't looked yet. I do know that Nick Chubb will be as much as there's great players going to be on that field, Nick Chubb could be the most important offensive player in that particular game. And if I'm Kevin Stefanski, I am giving that player the ball as many times. I know Kareem Hunt scored a couple of touchdowns. It takes nothing away from him, but Nick Chubb is the guy in this ball game. And if I'm the Cleveland Browns, I'm giving him the football 
He is touching the football 30 times in this ball game for me. I am not going below that number. That's how many times I would give Nick Chubb the football. Yeah, three years ago when he entered the league, I got a lot of looks from guys in our leagues when he was entering and he was supposed to be the backup behind Carlos Hyde, and I said $14 uh, right off the bat and uh, froze everyone out from getting him. And uh, I knew the player Nick Chubb was going to be. But one ominous sign for the Cleveland defense that has to be concerning and has to have Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City licking their chops is Ben Roethlisberger threw it 68 times. And of those 68 times, probably 60 Cleveland knew he was throwing zero sacks. Now enters Patrick Mahomes, and who has a lot more mobility and a lot more elusive than Ben Roethlisberger. And if they don't put more pressure or get to Patrick Mahomes, it is going to be a long, long, long day for the Browns. That said, if you want to call Patrick Mahomes Superman, or if you want to call Josh Allen the next Superman, or a poor man Superman, or whatever you want to call those guys, the kryptonite, or all of those guys, it could be Nick Chubb. He is a one-man wrecking crew, and I don't know if they were waiting for the postseason or Alex Zampelt said, I got to put these plays in here, but they have finally figured out when you have a guy who is averaging a whopping four yards after contact, yes, more yards after contact than Derrick Henry, who's a lot bigger than Nick Chubb, you get him the damn ball as many times as possible. Hand off out in patterns, screen plays with his some open field, and they finally decided to do that. I don't know if they've been waiting for the offseason, I mean, for the postseason to do that, but I expect that to be um, utilized more. And if I knew that was going to be the case, I would rank Nick Chubb as the number one fantasy pick in all of football next year, above anybody, if I knew he was going to catch three to five passes a game because he could take every one of those 40 to 50 yards as we saw on Sunday. So it's going to be a tough task, but anytime Nick Chubb is there, you have a chance because he can wreck a game with his running uh, and elusiveness. So it will be terrific. Was there anything on the game itself you wanted to add, or are you going to really uh, wait till another later podcast to talk about the game? Yeah, I'll, I'll wait till that. But, you know, I, I've mentioned this before. I, I think one of the things that I do like to do, I really like to look at these games, the way they finish at the end of the season and the playoffs. I utilize that as a scouting opportunity. Uh, I don't disagree with you on Nick Chubb. I mean, there's a there's a few players that have finished a year, you know, very strongly. There's other players that have kind of slogged their way through it. And I, I mentioned Russell Wilson. But, yeah, I'm watching this situation closely. I, I think anybody that doesn't have both Nick, uh, both Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb uh, in their top five coming into the upcoming season, I think that'll probably be a mistake. Uh, you know, again, uh, we know there's other players in both of those, in, on both of those teams, Kareem Hunt, good running back, Naheem Hines, an integral part of what the, what, what the uh, Colts are trying to do. But those two guys are the bell cows, and, and we saw how, how much they lean on Taylor late in the season 
I think you want to watch closely for what's happening here. Now, another player I, I just want to mention um, that I think is going to get a lot of attention because he's had tremendously successful seasons the last two seasons, despite significant inconsistency at the position. But I'm going to be very curious to see where Allen Robinson lands. Um, he's not going to be, a, I don't think he's going to be a, a Chicago Bear. Uh, but where he goes, I think he will be the most coveted free agent in the offseason. And where he goes will dictate where he gets ranked as a wide receiver for the upcoming season because gifted player, not playing in a great offense, and he's complained about it, but he will not be a Chicago Bear. But, you know, again, pay attention to what's going on here into the end of the season because it'll be somewhat meaningful uh, as we get into the 2021 stuff. How guys finish, I think, is a a big, big part of, of kind of what the mindset is around those players coming into the next season. Yeah, I mean, there. Yes, I, you know, just one last thing on Nick Chubb, and then uh, you know, just the, on the free agent aspect is the only thing that has kept Nick Chubb, or there's been separation between Nick Chubb and the Kamaras, Dalvin Cooks, Christian McCaffrey's of the world. The only thing that separates him from those guys is the fact that he was not utilized or hasn't been utilized in the passing game. If that comes into play. I rank him with those guys and maybe even ahead of those guys. As far as the free agency goes, there are some teams that are desperately could use a wide receiver, and I believe Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay as well. I don't know if Godwin's an unrestricted. He may, he, he may be unrestricted. So those three guys, I know for a fact Galladay and Allen Robinson – there are some terrific wide receivers that can make a big difference. Will Fuller as well. I don't know if they – I know the Texans were going to want to resign him. I don't know how that's, that's happened yet. Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, there are, some, there are some players that can really make an impact, and we mentioned some teams that need desperately um, a wide receiver to help them and um, – and there are going to be some elite ones. So that's the fun thing about fantasy football is it may not be any games taking place, but you have to keep your eye on the free agent market of where an elite player goes and what it's going to mean for him on that team. And then who is going to step up in the place of that player when he leaves as well. So very interesting things. And uh, there's really not a complete off season as far as football and fantasy football. Absolutely. All right. So Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back to you guys with our Love Him and Leaves Him, our game picks, our player props uh, later in the week. Uh, fun getting the wrap up. Uh, looking forward to some very interesting contests this coming weekend. I uh, wish you a good afternoon, Wiz, and uh, look forward to catching up. Yep, you do the same. Thank you. 